0: Welcome to the Start Here Podcast for web development. I'm Keith Monahan. And I'm Dane Miller. And we're here to show you how to build a career in web dev. You can find us online at starthere.fm. Hey, Keith. How's it going? Good. Doing good, Dane. How are you? Doing well. Good. So today we want to talk about JavaScript. We have talked around JavaScript since day one, I think, maybe in in some regards in various ways and we just wanted to give it full service and provide a good overview and description of of what you can do with it
1: so we had a conversation offline about you know how to discuss javascript given the fact that we've already talked about a lot of different aspects of javascript in other episodes if you remember the the listeners, if you guys remember, in uh, one of the previous episodes titled The Web Development Tool Belt, we talked about JavaScript a little bit, and we talked about some of the frameworks that you'll use, uh, Angular, Ember, Backbone, and we talked about mm-hmm. Bootstrap and some CSS frameworks that are sort of tangential to JavaScript a lot of the time. Right. Uh, and then in the Node.js episode, we also did a little bit of a um, history lesson Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of described, you know, Brandon Ike at Netscape and sort of gave like a lay of the land. Um, this is where JavaScript was created. And if you would, if you're interested in that type of material, I would definitely go back to those two episodes, our Node.js episode and the Web Dev Tool Belt to get that information. Here we're going to jump right into what are the ways to use JavaScript and what sets it apart from other languages. We're going to talk about uh, some of the features of the language. We're going to talk about some mm-hmm. projects that a new beginner uh, JavaScript developer could do or an intermediate JavaScript developer could do. We're going to talk right. about what is local development like, deployment considerations, and some other things as well.
0: It can be used for a lot of things. What is the extent, Dane, um, when we're talking about JavaScript? Where does it live? Where can we use it?
1: In the previous episodes, we we did discuss that JavaScript is a language that can be executed on the client and the server. So keep in mind, this is a language that can run in a runtime that lives on a server or just simply in the browser using mm-hmm. runtimes that mozilla and chrome and google create such as the v8 javascript engine i guess they call them engines uh usually if they're in the in the browser yeah so that being said obviously the two biggest or sorry the three biggest things that you'll use javascript for are Client UX interactions, so that would be browser-based user experience or interaction. So that'd be like adding animations, doing click events, and handling different kinds of uh, DOM manipulations. Mm -hmm. And then you have another layer that we could call the front-end logic layer. So you have some more advanced applications, like single-page applications, or big, big JavaScript apps that use a thick client framework, like a Backbone or an Angular Ember, or any myriad other uh, options and alternatives out there for this. And they will usually have quite a bit of logic, like just almost almost similar to pure business logic that you would find right. in the back end. And then, and then the last category, obviously, like we said, is the back end. So, you know... And that would you, be with, like, Node.js. Yeah, correct. Okay. Exactly.
0: So that's kind of the world of JavaScript. That's where it lives and how you can use it. What would you say sets it apart from other languages? Is there anything specific to JavaScript as a language that is different than like PHP or, or Ruby or Python?
1: One of the things that sets it apart is the fact that it is the only language that can be used in the client side or in the browser. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a lot of supersets to JavaScript, such as CoffeeScript and TypeScript and such, that can be used to enhance JavaScript. But there's no other core language um that is able to be executed dynamically in the web browser. There's other parts of the language that are different than other languages. So, for instance, uh you have things like... First-class functions, which some other languages support, so you can do a lot of sort of functional programming. Functions can be passed to other functions and be taken as parameters. Mm-hmm. Um, you have things like closures. Um, you have their prototype inheritance system, which is uh, the the type of uh, method that JavaScript implemented to do inheritance in the core language, and it's often referred to as prototype typical or prototypal inheritance you'll hear it described both ways sometimes one of them is inaccurate but you'll hear both and um it's it's just it's a very unique type of of uh type of inheritance that a lot of people have a lot of contention with we're not going to go into details here so much what it is but you can look it up and it, it's interesting also another thing is javascript has built-in support for json which is really interesting a lot you know obviously it's the probably you know i don't know about xml versus json as far as popularity but it is the go-to data transmission language for the web so it's very nice that you have built-in support for that yeah for sure and i mean most other languages do have built-in support for json in the sense that they'll have a language core library that has some kind of json features so for instance uh you know and sometimes you have to include a library or something but javascript it's all built in baked in you don't have to include any library to get it to work yeah it just works so some cons for the for the language you know we were talking about language specific features but also some things that are sort of a negative um, with JavaScript you'll often hear a lot of people complaining about JavaScript just because they don't like the class structure or the prototype inheritance type of thing and a lot of people just feel the syntax isn't very great mm-hmm. and then other people have issues with the performance and yet, yet other people have issues with memory management and, and very down in the weed sort of things that are totally valid issues. Um, we're currently in a version of JavaScript that's in flux. Uh, we're moving from the version that we are now to ECMAScript 6 in the future. And ECMAScript 6 promises to solve a lot of these issues by doing a, it's quite an advanced upgrade. It has, you know, a lot of different features, such as let statements and, and actual real classes like you would have uh-huh. in, in PHP. Okay. Yeah, let's back up. What's
0: ECMAScript 6?
1: So ECMAScript is the...
0: So it's just the formal name for, for what we know of as JavaScript? Yeah. Cool. So when we're talking about JavaScript in the browser we know that it can interact and to change some things and and maybe some people even know that after your your browser receives a website like the html files mm-hmm. um javascript is what you would use to then on the fly go in and and edit and change those those elements and manipulate the website um even after it was sent from the server yeah and that's pretty cool to think about that you could be sent essentially a static web page but then there could be some code some javascript code attached to the page that could actually manipulate the act- the, the core structure of that site that's yeah. really intriguing to me what makes that possible like how how does that work how does the
1: javascript communicate or interact with the html the HTML page, when it's rendered inside of the browser, is usually referred to as the DOM. And we talked about this a little bit in the HTML episode. And we also talked about it a little bit in the CSS episode and mm-hmm. the note. And I believe that's it. But okay. we might have also referenced it in the JavaScript um, sections of right. other episodes because it is, it is an integral part of this whole thing. It means document object model, and you can go back to sort of hear the history of it in those episodes, but um it's just a tree. That's the main gist. Is it's like every tag and every element that you write in HTML is a child or a predecessor of another element, mm-hmm. so it's a tree, a, a very big tree in some instances, and it, it extends in... It, you know at an arbitrary depth, right? It has nodes that go for an arbitrary depth. Um mm-hmm. so uh JavaScript simply has an ability to reference that tree. So okay. using um using raw JavaScript you can actually get nodes from the DOM. So you mm-hmm. can you don't have to use jQuery at all. You can literally say Document dot element by id and pass it an id and it will mm-hmm. retrieve that dom object for you. It won't be retrieved in the same way that jQuery would retrieve it. jQuery does a little bit different of a, a thing to it to make it a little bit more interactive. So it's essentially a reference. So
0: you can use JavaScript to reference one of those nodes, and then do what like and then you could use JavaScript to manipulate it, right?
1: Yeah. So all of the nodes on the tree, so all of the tags have classes or ids and classes or, ID or ids you could think of as just ways for javascript to reach out into the html so it, okay. the javascript will be able to reach out and grab something grab a node and move it around or animate it or change the color of it or change the text so
0: if you want to be able to manipulate one of those then you have
1: to give it a class or an id or something yeah you have to give it some kind of specific reference of course you don't have Theoretically, you can call a tag. You can you can just you can call an arbitrary tag and just say, Give me the fifth P tag, give me the fifth paragraph tag, but that doesn't really do us any good. You know, so usually yeah. as web developers we want to have a sort of robust uh, paradigm for naming IDs and classes and such.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a whole other discussion we won't get into, yeah. but um, you guys can look up information about how to name your i your you know IDs and classes because there's definitely some some thought been put into that
1: that whole mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, and there's a number of different paradigms, which is really right. interesting. um right. Right.
0: Underscore or dash. You
1: know. Well, also you know, um, like functional versus feature. Mm-hmm. So. You know, we're not going to get into this, but yeah. anyway, there's a lot of differences. <laughs> um, some other things that JavaScript does is everything that you write in JavaScript isn't being saved to a database, right? So uh, JavaScript is being executed live in something called the event thread. Um, it's kind of like a game loop in a way. So as soon as your browser boots up and turns on and a web page starts loading, something called the event thread gets initialized. And it's basically like a huge heap. And it will contain as many things that you write as you want. So if you write Hmm. a JavaScript, uh, a little snippet of JavaScript, and you paste it into the Chrome console, and it iterates over an array that has a length of a 100 million, and it creates an in-memory object for each of those, you could totally do that. And it'll have no problem doing that, right? You can create as many items on the heap as you want. Now, the problem is, is JavaScript has sometimes been um, criticized for its memory management or the lack of a high-quality garbage collector. And hmm. I, I think the garbage collector is quality enough. And it's not a big deal because a lot of websites, every website in the world uses JavaScript and it's not a big deal, but it could be improved. And I think the, the browser makers are aware of this and they're working on improving it. Um, but you know, just keeping in mind that JavaScript keeps everything in memory and there's no database. And so that changes the way that you think about coding JavaScript. I, I, that's important. So that's something that, that is different. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So Keith, I was I was just thinking like where do you see JavaScript going in the future? I know you know we did have that episode where we talked about the future of web development.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, great question. So we've seen a huge increase in the amount of JavaScript that people are using. It used to be that you couldn't be certain whether or not a browser had JavaScript, and you wouldn't want to rely on it for core functionality of your website. And and still there are people that 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 argue that you still shouldn't. Rely on JavaScript for kind of the core foundation functionality of your website. Um, actually, I, I've mentioned Jonathan Stark and Kelly Shaver who do the uh, who do the Niche podcast, mm-hmm. and they're proponents of making sure that you have like solid fallbacks for when a browser doesn't have JavaScript enabled. Mm-hmm. But the world we live in is that I mean, pretty much everybody has it enabled. Yeah, and totally. I have never run into a situation where where that was an issue. totally agree we've seen a huge prolification of of I mean forgetting about using JavaScript on the server and using it kind of for front end logic, just talking about presentationally you know manipulating the website and and providing deeper interactions. I think that's going to be where I think where a lot of the action is. <laughs> no pun intended. People are starting to build more experiential websites yeah not just brochures anymore but actual experiences and that kind of interaction almost game-like experience is really cool and i love that Um, but it's complicated and it's probably going to be written in
1: javascript so because of moore's law like the ability to foresee the future of computing is very difficult because it increases you know because of the definition of Moore's law says that it increases faster than we could perceive, you Mm -hmm. know, it increases literally faster than what logic would dictate. And therefore it's, it's difficult to, to foresee what, you know, the future of the web or the future of computing is going to be. But, all inclinations are pointing towards um, JavaScript sort of running the show in a lot mm-hmm. of areas. And, you know, we're seeing a world where mobile development could potentially be done in JavaScript only.
0: Well, what's interesting to me is, and I think we saw this at CES, right, the Consumer Electronics Show, that... Because we were both there. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. Um,
1: reporting from the show floor.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's the Internet of Things. Yes. So, you know, your toaster welcomes you when you wake up in the morning. You know? No. <laughs> it's like, your, your toast is almost ready. Would you like it dark or light today? You know? Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. That's I hope that never worst. happens. Just... <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, there are more and more devices that we live with that are becoming smart devices. Yeah. And I would hope that as people think about these devices, that that they make it easy to write programs for and i could see javascript being one of those languages that is embraced that allows people to to build applications and and extend fun- extend functionality
1: well you can be sure that javascript will be used to do a lot of transmission So the Internet of Things is dependent on the Internet, which is dependent on TCP IP. And so because JavaScript is a very easy way – so JavaScript is a really easy way to use AJAX, right? So like using JavaScript, you can easily implement a communication from one server to another. Mm -hmm. Um, Because of that, I could very well see the Internet of Things having some maybe core libraries that live underneath of JavaScript but expose some kind of public API to JavaScript. And then JavaScript sits – Maybe in some kind of an intermediary layer and you launch a website and then, um, that website has like a dashboard and you can control your home lights, your fridge. You can control, um, your alarm clock or your toaster or whatever other appliances you want to, to do, um, you know, in Blender. Oregon, whatever you guys do in Oregon with the appliances. <laughs> uh, so it's like, but. You know, you could do that theoretically on the web because if you had JavaScript to communicate to all these other APIs, and those mm-hmm. APIs then are what's powering that specific device. Like, okay. I'm the fridge API, you know, I'm the, and that's kind of what so they're trying to do.
0: You see, you see the Internet of Things and the devices more, the device more as not necessarily a platform. But just an API that you can interact with.
1: Well, it is a platform, but it's a platform of APIs. Like when we were at, um, when we were in the government, there the, one of the projects there that we were uh, sort of sidelined to was the Internet of Things. So we were trying to kickstart development on the Internet of Things, and the guy that was leading the charge on that was. One of the creators of TCPIP at the Pentagon. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was really amazing because every time, anytime I was in the same room with this guy, I would just like obsessively ask him questions about the Pentagon for like, (laughs) and he would be so annoyed with me, but it was so fun. (laughs) But his whole stance was it's not a platform in and of itself. It's a platform of APIs. So the fridge will have an API, the toaster will have an API. Um, those are, highly pedantic examples that they don't really mean anything to a lot of people, but imagine mm-hmm. that um, like something that had the, some machine that had the ability to save somebody's life. What if that machine had an API, all of mm. it that we're giving very bad examples is the point, but like there's <laughs> a lot of really good uses for this stuff. And so just picture um, whatever, you know, you're imagining that could be programmed. What if it had an API and it had some kind of generic API that was used on every single physical object and then it could be extended upon though to do customizations uh, by yourself like it's open source so you can open mm-hmm. source hack your fridge and it has it has the fridge api that all fridges have but you wanted to add maybe the ability to do like filtered water out of the front instead of just like tap water right. so you so you code that up and then when you push a button on your computer your fridge starts leaking water onto the floor you know stuff like that like that's mm-hmm. really fun
0: yeah it is it, it is interesting to think about to uh, I mean, yeah, we're giving bad examples, like nobody cares about a connected toaster, mm-hmm. really, right, and a connected fridge it's actually so that could be the most exciting part actually is the connected fridge because if you have um a fridge that knows what's inside it's inside itself, right it has sensors and maybe cameras and whatever, and it recognizes objects as you put them in, and maybe it has some scales so it knows how much volume and is in each each part it could it could tell you you know as you know 20 minutes before you get ready to leave for work it says hey you're almost out of milk you should pick some up and you're out of bacon so you should get some of that because it's almost saturday you know
1: or it just goes to the web and then snap or snap peas them which is like a grocery delivery service and then they show up on your front door yeah exactly that would just right? be too, too easy but yeah like the ability for these – like what what I'm getting at is like the ability for these things to be sort of helpful and then – like so there's a very long tail for us to even start programming using the Internet of Things. Like that mm-hmm. that is very challenging and we've been trying for years and years and years and we theoretically aren't even there yet. But as soon as we get there, there's a very short tail from it being Mm -hmm. sort of helpful to like it totally taking over everything and us just like sitting back and not really caring. Like the fridge will be able to order food and it will be automatically delivered by on-demand delivery services. That's not even that difficult. Apps Mm -hmm. are doing that now. And all you're doing is you're outsourcing it to a fridge instead of your iPhone. Right. You know, so it's it's just a programming, like mainly the Internet of Things, like the whole problem they were having in, in the government at the time that I was there was like just the, the protocol layer, building these protocols and like how Mm -hmm. these things communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I don't know anything about this, but apparently that was the big hang up. Uh, why don't you tell us about the popular communities?
0: Yeah, well, we've mentioned a few different services and frameworks and things, and they've all got their own, um, they've all got their own communities that you can you can connect with you can probably create an account there and like get involved and so some of those just to recap are jquery backbone angular ember um, the node and all of these probably have ric channels where you can like chat live with the community and then of course your favorite google search result uh, stack overflow um, which is kind of it's yeah it's definitely its, its own community uh, for answers on pretty much you know all of this kind of stuff.
1: And Stack Overflow has a bunch of communities. If you have an interest in some kind of a technical topic or even like law, Stack Overflow probably will have a community just for that. So is it Stack Exchange? Uh, yeah, well, Stack Exchange would be the, the the name, I think, of like the community of communities. Dane, is there anything special about
0: developing locally? <laughs> I mean, it's almost an oxymoron.
1: Yeah. Well, because like there's no concept of the difference between local and production when you're talking about JavaScript. Um, Mm -hmm. now there is sometimes a difference if you're using like a superset like CoffeeScript. So if you're developing locally and you're using CoffeeScript, you know, you have to understand that when you push it to production, it's going to be actual JavaScript that gets executed. Yeah. Another thing about developing locally with JavaScript, I would say, is is best pointed out when you juxtapose it with the deployment process. So deploying Mm -hmm. JavaScript usually involves minifying and compressing your JavaScript. Um, So that would be one of the differences between developing locally versus in production. In production, you usually aren't going to have the type of... um, ability to debug your javascript because it will probably be minified and that means all of the javascript will be on one line yeah. so when you try to put your little chrome debugger on a line it's not going to work super so, hard
0: to get in and try and figure out what's broken when it's minified
1: yeah exactly and then another thing is if you are like i said a minute ago if you are using some of these supersets like CoffeeScript, you have to keep in mind when you're debugging CoffeeScript, you're you have to debug javascript so, when you put your little Chrome debugger on some JavaScript output, for, so like when you're writing CoffeeScript, you have to write it, and then you reload the browser, and then it reloads JavaScript. And then when you're trying to debug what you wrote, you have to, in your head, translate what you're writing into JavaScript, go into the browser, reload it, put the debugger on the JavaScript, and mm-hmm. then translate that back to CoffeeScript. To and try then try to understand tra- where yeah, to in under- CoffeeScript it's broken. Yeah, and then try to understand. Yeah, exactly. And then, oh, okay, well, how do I solve that in CoffeeScript? Because I know that problem in JavaScript, but I don't know that, you know. So this whole, like, this is definitely a, a broader conversation and, you know, of the advantages of CoffeeScript, but we're not going to get into that so much Or well, any I'm,
0: tools like that, right? SAS or SDSS or?
1: Yeah. I mean, this kind of goes for any preprocessor for sure. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to give you guys sort of what it, what some of the, the pain points can be with developing locally, yeah. especially if you use, uh, CoffeeScript. So, Keith, what are some of the other technologies that are used um, around the JavaScript world? Yeah, for sure. So, we've talked about frameworks. Mm
0: -hmm. And I'll mention a few here that we may not have. Specifically, you know, well, Angular, Ember, Backbone, Meteor, uh, CanJS, Riot.js. So, those are some frameworks. Other tools you might use with these are Require.js or Knockout. Mm -hmm. There's also templating engines. And this can be, uh, this can be pretty helpful if you're building larger applications or applications in general.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so you have Slim, Hamel, Mustache, Handlebars, and we'll link to all of these in the show notes. You know, there's different testing paradigms. We don't really talk much about testing because it's kind of a pain, but it is really good to start off thinking about testing when you're building something. So you have QUnit and then Jasmine that you can use for testing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that's a really great overview. I think some of those that I would highlight are maybe some of the testing ones. A lot of uh, People that get into back-end development will be familiar with unit testing. You can also do unit testing on the front end uh, with Jasmine and QUnit. And you can also do more integration-type testing on the front end as well, using something like Selenium to drive an automated headless web browser or just a web browser in general that's not headless to execute uh, clicks and and things like that so that it can simulate a user clicking around your site. Mm. and. You can usually automate a, oh. a really large testing infrastructure using something like Selenium. That's cool. Which, yeah. And then another one I wanted to highlight is RequireJS. So dependency management is just the concept that I only want to load the things that I need. It's also sometimes called eager loading. Sometimes it's called lazy loading. Uh, those sound opposite, but they're interchangeably used in certain instances and in certain instances they're not so whatever but you know the concept is basically load the things that you need at the time that you need them and try not to load everything else at that time yeah so, so the if, point is to save to save your bandwidth and yeah. your
0: like overhead
1: Yeah, and what we talked about earlier applies like the heap is unlimited, but you don't want to use it that way. So the the event thread and the heap itself, you want to try to minimize the number of objects that are on it, theoretically. And to do that, you can use dependency management. So require.js will say, okay, I'm about to load a specific route. Like let's say it is um, slash events. Like, uh, your website.com slash events required. You can set up RequireJS, and backbone can also be set up this way with something called crossroads. Um, to look at that URL and say, okay, he's on the events URL. Uh, so load up all of the JavaScript that he needs and don't load any of the stuff that he doesn't. He doesn't need the user object right now. He doesn't need maybe like a bunch of utility scripts, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so that's, that's something that I've definitely really enjoyed using over the years. It can, it's another level of abstraction, so it can yeah. complicate things, but I think it's a necessary one in in some instances. For sure. Okay, so now let's just jump right into the resources. So for this episode, because we have a javascript focus episode, some of these are going to be books. Um, surprisingly, JavaScript, there are some really good JavaScript books that I would recommend, and then there's some industry-standard JavaScript books that nobody reads, and everybody recommends that you do not read. And I'm actually, in this case, going to be totally following that advice. And one of the resources is the good parts it's called javascript the good parts it's written by douglas crockford it is a o'reilly publication and it is mm. similar to what is called the javascript bible which is like a 400 page book bible on javascript nobody reads that instead what everybody should do is pick up the good parts it is about 120 pages very slim and it's all good stuff so, so it's all is that- go ahead
0: was the good parts written specifically as a reaction to yes. the big Bible? Yes. Okay. Correct.
1: Yes. Okay. And it. it- talks about things like first class functions and and things like that that are very fun um and then another some other resources here are are perhaps also unique we're going to recommend that you follow doug crockford and eric reese so these are two people who are sort of one of them is a front end kind of guy and then um also eric meyer is another one I would follow both of them. One is more of like a CSS JavaScript kind of guy. One is a more of a JavaScript front-end developer advocate kind of guy. And then hmm. Douglas Crockford is often known as the, the godfather of JavaScript. Again, he didn't create JavaScript. That's Brandon Icke. But he has been a prolificator and a, and a communicator yeah. and an educator and an intellectual in JavaScript for for over 10 years at the at the, cool. way, at the least. So I would definitely recommend following him. And also, he has a bunch of really cool videos from conferences where he will literally have um, some code up on the screen and, and walk you through all these different code sna- samples on like, here's why JavaScript is cool. And it'll be like... Um, you know, passing a function, three functions, and then using those three functions to do like a closure to get access, you know, it's like really fun little things like that, that only you can do in JavaScript. So, uh, I think that would be really something that would, would spike your interest if you're a beginner or an intermediate and you're kind of like burnt out on JavaScript, or perhaps you don't find it very interesting. Uh, some of his videos can really, uh, light that, that interest back into you, I think. Cool. That's exciting. Yep, and of course the official spec. So if you you get a chance, read the ECMAScript six draft spec and read the ECMAScript five spec. And Mm -hmm. um,
0: you know, do you know when? You know how soon the um six is going to be released?
1: Uh, well, it's been a joke for a while, like sort of like Pearl six. I believe, is the number, but the the newest version of Perl that's like never going to be released and like the newest version of PHP that's never going to be released. I think that's 6 too. I think all (laughs) these languages are like 6, but, you know, PHP 6, Perl 6, ECMAScript 6, all of these things have yet to come and there's a lot of promises. So we'll see. I don't know of any updates though.
0: Okay, cool. Awesome. That was some good resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So we had some projects too, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, okay, so the beginner project um, that I wanted to talk about is something pretty basic. It just allows you to become familiar with uh, JavaScript, and we recommend that you could use jQuery if you want to. You don't have to, but it, it does help. And it gets you familiar with manipulating the DOM, manipulating, uh, like, forms and other elements on the page Mm -hmm. uh, maybe removing and adding elements and that's pretty cool Mm -hmm. the project itself is just a simple like a short library site you would create a javascript array or object that has maybe five to ten books and it has like a a title um, a description an author it could be that simple and maybe an image if you want to go that far Um, and then figure out how to take that array of 5 to 10 books and then display it on the page. Mm-hmm. And you can just do really basic styling or even no styling, whatever. It's not the point. Um, and then maybe add an option to delete one of those from from the array. Mm-hmm. Um, and then have that delete it live on the page so it actually yeah. removes it from
1: your page. right? Yeah.
0: Simple, Relatively simple stuff, but it will get you familiar with interacting with stuff.
1: Yeah, and especially the data structures right so like if you're deleting like the third item in the array then you'll have to learn about arrays Um, and then also Mm -hmm. I'd maybe recommend trying to do you know um, an array of objects so that you're interacting with it that way Mm -hmm. as well
0: yeah and then you could also go in and you could um, have a form at the top Of your page, maybe a form where you could add a new book, where it's you know just simple title, description, author, whatever else you can expand on it if you want to. You could add new books, and if you wanted to go even further and get more skills, you could start validating those form fields Mm -hmm. uh, to add the book. Right, so to add a book, you require that the name, the description, and the and the author all have some sort of entry in the field. And so if there's, if there's no name in there and you hit submit, then you should get some sort of a message that says this field is required. That's really helpful feedback and it'll get you used to doing that on regular websites where you don't, if you're using a typical backend server like Ruby or, or PHP or something, um, you don't typically have to have front end validation, um, you always do validation on the server, always, whether you do validation on the front end or not. But what it does is it doesn't require the user to sit through a whole um, server request, right? Server yep. request, refresh. Instead, you can just do a real quick response that says, hey, oh, this you need to do this field before we send it to the server. Yep. So that pretty simple project. We'll maybe write up a, um, an overview of that and put it on the, the show page uh, today. Mm-hmm. And then, was there an intermediate project you wanted to talk about as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a good intermediate project is to build some sort of a game. Um, I think the game that you built is pretty cool. So you built a number guessing game, and maybe we can mm-hmm. even link to it, sure, if you don't mind. But it yeah. was—it's very cool. You know, you just basically you get a perhaps a procedurally generated random number range. And that's displayed on the site. And then you simply have to input a guess into an input box. And then if your guess is within the mysteriously generate procedurally generated range, then you uh, are alerted on whether it's under or above the uh, the selected uh, value uh, mm-hmm. of the, the the winning guess. And then if you win, you know, you have some kind of message that pops up on the screen and you're ready to go again. And you could also take that one step further and build like a 2D game of some sort just to maybe get started. Um, you uh-huh. could build a, a 2D array in JavaScript. So that would be an array of arrays. And then each of those arrays has an X and Y coordinate. Mm-hmm. And then... What if you simply did that and then you iterated through the first array and then you uh, iterated through each of the inner arrays and simply rendered it all onto the screen in a big grid? Uh, hmm. Well, what what you have then is you basically have a board game, right? So you have a board game hmm. uh, board. So you have a game board. You have a 2D board of X and Y coordinates. Now, using that... Using the locations of those coordinates, you can basically uh, put uh, different objects. Like you could put a wall, or you could put a, a person, of, or you know, or a thing. And and you know, you could come up with your own game. Like you know, a snake hmm. would be fun. You know, these are more maybe advanced things, but you could definitely start to play with uh, some of these 2D ideas. Those could be some fun projects for you, and we would love to
0: see them too. So you can send those over to us through the website. Form, or you
1: can email them to us. Uh, you can email me at keith at starthere.fm. And I'm Dane at StartHere.fm, and we also do reviews. We do website reviews, project reviews. We'll love to do any review. If you can't submit a project through our form, which is at StartHere.fm slash review, that's the form to submit. If you have a project that perhaps lives on Git or is very complicated and has multiple files, um, you can email us with a link to a zip that doesn't contain a virus and we will (laughs) totally click that and totally check out the project and we'll review it and if you'd like we can post the review we do that as well so we'll post those to starthere.fm slash reviews plural and we'll of course get your permission before we do that
0: yeah. So and then you can also send us a quick link if you have it live on the internet somewhere and just want to just want us to take a quick look. You can find me on Twitter at Keithmon K E I T H M mm-hmm. O N and I'm underscore D A I N. So thanks for all your feedback guys. We we've, we've had uh, I think some comments and some emails this past in two weeks, and we love interacting and helping out and answering questions. So don't hesitate to reach out.
1: And we've had a couple of five-star reviews come through, and we really love to see that as well. You know, you guys, when yeah. you when you post those reviews, it actually tells iTunes that we're a reputable podcast that is worth um, showing in search results. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, if you
0: leave an iTunes review, that will help. It would help other people like you find our podcast and maybe find our content and get help becoming a web developer. And that's the whole goal and that's what we we want to do. So Mm -hmm. yeah, we love the iTunes reviews. Thank you. So that's it for today. Thanks guys for listening. We will catch you next time. Yep.
1: Bye. Bye.